You are listening to the new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Pecci. Uh, hello, how are you? What's new? Um, today, I am uh, just checking in with you guys. I'm going to do the show solo or, you know, sort of solo. Uh, for the first time ever today, I am going to broadcast the recording of the episode live over Instagram. So hopefully I can interact with some of the viewers and some of the listeners. I'm broadcasting today over my personal account. So it's at, uh, at Mike Petchy on Instagram. Um, but before I uh, get into that, I just wanted to catch up with you guys. There's a lot going on this week. Um, I just got back from a really amazing vacation through Italy, and we'll talk about that. And uh, more importantly, I released, finally released the information on my new short film uh, called Who's There? Um, it's the film that I've been working on for a while now. I've been uh, hashtagging it um, as something new is coming. And we shot this movie back in March, like late February, March. Um, and it's been done for that long. And uh, we've just been waiting to be able to release it online. Um, and we can get into that too. Um, but before we get started, I'd like to just do a little bit of housekeeping here and uh, plug some of our sponsors early on the episode. Uh, first, I want to talk about um, my good buddies over at uh, Puget Systems. Um, I'm super excited, as always, to get continued support from my friends at Puget Systems. Are you in the market for a new edit system? Don't want to settle for Apple prices and slower hardware? Build a PC. I did. Well, actually, we built two. And honestly, I didn't build them myself. I had my boys at Puget Systems build them for me. Um, you can't say no to like vigorously tested hardware, custom built specs, and real customer support. I mean, ultimately, that is the reason why I went with these guys is that I did not want to become customer support for all the editors in our space. I wanted to have a company that I could trust that we can actually call on the phone and get somebody on the phone and they know exactly what our system is and they can walk us through it. Um, so they've been amazing for, they've been amazing at that for us. And, uh, I cut everything I do on their custom built PCs. Um, and the oldest one we've had for about three years now, and it is still going strong. The thing that's really great about it is that all these things can be, um, upgraded, which is fantastic. So, um, go to PugetSystems.com and pick out a package based upon the software you use. So if you're a video editor and you use Premiere, um, they have this really great um, selection get started sort of setup where you can go through and go, hey, I use Premiere. Here's a, here's a baseline system that we suggest. What else do you guys need? Um, so it's really cool for that. So click the link below and tell them that I sent you. So with that, let's get on with the episode. Um, today, like I said, uh, I'm really excited because I was able to release the teaser um, for Who's There. Uh, which is a film that is written by my good buddy and uh, working partner these days, uh, Mr. Will Simmons. Um, I promise you guys I'm going to get him on the episode once we have uh, a couple of interesting new uh, news releases coming out over the next couple of weeks. Um, we'll get him on the show to talk about who's there. We'll get him on the show to talk about uh, 12KM because he's actually writing the feature script or he's written the feature script for 12KM. The script is done. Um, and then, uh, him and I are working on a few other things together. Um, it's a great, it's been a really good working relationship. And this is something that I've talked about on, on previous episodes, but there is something really great about 
understanding that there are folks that are better than you at certain things. I think that uh, the filmmaking business is a very ego-centric business. And in the beginning, when you get started, you have to convince yourself that you are good enough and you have to convince other people that you're good enough. And sometimes it's very easy to get lost in that self-promotion. It's very easy to get lost in that ego. Um, and uh, I am a writer out of necessity because um, I'm a director without a script. So that's kind of how I started. And uh, all my original short film stuff, I wrote myself. I wrote the 12KM short in itself. Um, and through the process of uh, casting the DP, Mr. David Cruda, I also met this writer, uh, Will Simmons, and he watched the short uh, after it was finished and loved it and was like, man, I'd really like to give you my take on what I think the feature could be. Um, and of course, I did a little research on this guy, uh, found out that he uh, was a blacklist website winner. Um, he wrote an amazing script um, called uh, Murder City, I think it is what it is. It's Murder City. He's going to kill me for not remembering it. <laughs> I'm a good buddy. Um, but, uh, you know, so I uh, read a script and I was like, this dude's way better than I am at the actual art of screenplay writing. Because being a screenplay writer is an art form. And it isn't just about uh, seeing a movie in your head and putting it down on the page. There's so many uh, little minutia, like so many really great techniques that are needed from a screenplay writer, from like structure, from the ability uh, to actually get your ass out of bed and write and be able to meet deadlines is a big thing. And then how do you take what ultimately is a visual story and put it down on the page um, and have that be a fast read for execs? or for people that are looking at it. And, and most of the time when you hand a script to somebody um, looking for cash or not, they uh, don't really have the time to do it. And a lot of times there, there's this sort of atrophy that comes with having to read scripts all the time and you go through them. And I, I've read a few scripts now um, that I'm wrapped and they send out scripts for me to look at. And you know within the first page if it's something that's gonna keep you. And um, that's a talent and that's a skill. And that's something that Will's really good at. Uh, and so he had a really great idea of where to take 12K in the feature. Um, but also, I really wanted to learn from the dude and uh, sort of pick his brain on how he does these things. And it's been a fascinating working relationship because I get to uh, bear witness to how quickly he's able to turn scripts around, how amazingly he can write uh, descriptions for scenes, which is a huge thing. Uh, you basically try to write an exciting description to get you into the scene, but it's short and sweet and to the point. Um, and then, um, yeah, like I said, it's uh, pretty cool. And while I'm talking here, if I get a little distracted, I'm looking on Instagram Live at the same time uh, to see what questions are being asked. Uh, so we'll see if this works for this episode. And it uh, looks like who's joining us? At, oh, Mr. David Kruda is live with us. There he is on Instagram. Uh, I'm not going to read that comment <laughs> on the podcast, but yes. Okay, good. So uh, so Will and I uh, teamed up to uh, write the feature version of 12KM, um, and then we went out and did the pitching process with that, uh, which I can't really get too deep into, but um, 
through that long process and all these steps take a while, dude. Like if you come up with a great script, you come up with a really good idea and then you get access to Hollywood, uh, you still have to sit around and wait for meetings. You still have to sit around and wait for people to watch the film and uh, that stuff kid uh, really tax on you as a creative. And uh, Will and I just, I, I can't sit around. And I just can't sit around and wait for people. So we had to come up with something else to do to fill the time. Um, and uh, we brainstormed a bit on uh, coming up with a really fun uh, thriller that is self-contained. It could be a feature that is a, a like under $5 million budget feature. Um, but it really brings back a lot of the stuff that I enjoyed when I was watching horror movies as a kid. Um, and uh, that's how the birth of uh, Who's There began. Um, and it was really fast, actually. We sat down for like about a week and talked about all these really great influences and the stories that we wanted to tell. And could we come up with something that was new within those confines? And uh, we came up with Who's There. And basically outlined a feature version of it and very similar to what we did with... Um, uh, 12km, we uh, decided to do a proof of concept. Uh, because if you are trying to get a feature made as a director that doesn't have a feature credit, uh, I, I think a proof of concept is an essential thing because uh, you can show immediately the people in the room uh, what your uh, influences are and what your style is, what, what your tone building abilities are. Um, and it gives, you know, when you go for meetings, it gives you something to talk about initially because they see the film before you show up. Um, so we sat down, put it together and, uh, within like three months, uh, basically turned that thing around. Um, so it's pretty amazing. And I, there'll be further episodes that we'll talk about with this. And I, I really want to get some of the people that worked on the movie on the show so we can really sort of chat it out and I can give you guys sort of a step-by-step on how we put together a brand new proof of concept that is currently being shopped around um, in Hollywood. So let's see what's going on here. So talking to some folks, I'm just gonna check in here with Instagram Live, see if there's any questions, see if there's anything valuable that's being said other than people asking me to, to bust out a rap, which uh, I am the whitest dude on the planet. That is not gonna happen. <laughs> Uh, okay, so here's a question. I love reading people's uh, screen names on uh, on Instagram. It's my favorite. And I think half the time people don't realize how ridiculous their names sound until they're read out loud. So let's read one from uh, Operatic Toast, mm -hmm. a regular. Uh, and uh, I'm happy that he follows me often, so it's pretty terrible for me to make fun of his name. But anyway, uh, what were some of your influences for Who's There? Um so who's there? Honestly, I would say that the major influence, I think it's like a combination of like, it's a little bit of Hellraiser meets Poltergeist meets strangely, like I get the vibe of Gremlins and, uh, you know, I'm not giving anything away. If you guys saw the teaser, the movie is a holiday film. So it takes place during Christmas um, because I love that. I love the idea of making something terrible during a season where everything's supposed to be great. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I'd say that it's, it sort of harkens back to a lot of the uh, horror movies from like the late 80s, early 90s that uh, I grew up with. But at the same token, I like to build a world 
that way, but I want to have the film feel like its own thing. Um, and you know, they, there's, a, there's a big difference between making a throwback film and then just building a world that exists at a different time period. And uh, I feel like a lot of the stuff that's coming out right now, uh, everybody's so hyper-focused on, on making it uh, connectable and, and basing it in some sort of reality um, because some of the statistics tell them that you know people need that in order to get lost in a movie, which is absolute bullshit because if you've seen Mandy, uh, Mandy is like a fever dream and it is fucking perfect. Um, and Nicolas Cage is fantastic in it, and uh, Panos Cosmatos, who directed it, he also did Beyond the Black Rainbow. It is an amazing film. It is also based in, it takes place during the 80s, but it doesn't make a difference that it takes place during the 80s, and I really like the world building that he does with it. Um, another example of a movie that uh, did sort of like an 80s throwback, and I just watched it last night again, is The Void. And I feel like The Void... The Void just went too far into into paying homage to that time period. And I think they were just trying to cram too many references and too much stuff in there uh, for it to be its own thing. I mean, I, I love the world that they built. I like the vibe. I like the way that they set it up. But I think the mistake is, you know, just making it a throwback film as opposed to taking that time period and, and building a great story and making it your own in that time period. And that's what I tried to do with 12KM, and that's what we're trying to do with Who's There. Okay, so let's get to some more questions here. Is Who's There, is, is who's there a horror film? No, it's a romantic comedy. <laughs> um, I have seen Mandy. I was influenced by it. Good, yep. Uh, oh, you want my shirt? Oh, so today I'm wearing my... Uh, T Fury uh, Godzilla shirt, um, which was limited edition, so you missed out on that, brother. Uh, favorite film character? Uh, who is my favorite film character in general? Are we talking like across the board? Um, be more specific, my friend. Uh, so while I wait for some more questions, um, so yeah, if you want to see the uh, teaser for who's there. I am exclusively showing it this week on uh, my Instagram account. So it's at Mike Petchy. Um, and that's a great place to go to uh, also be able to tune in to me live talking about this stuff, um, to listen to me fumble my way through a podcast uh, and to make fun of me on the internet. So I highly suggest you go follow me at Mike Petchy and you can uh, check all that stuff out. So anyway, so let's change topics a little bit. Um, how many of you have actually had the ability or had the opportunity to travel outside of the United States? Now, I know a lot of my listeners are from different countries as well. From uh, We've got listeners in Europe. We've got listeners in Mexico. Um, but there's a lot of folks that listen to the show that are from the U.S. And a lot of people haven't had the opportunity to travel outside it. Um, I try to stay away from any sort of political conversations on this show because I don't believe in mixing politics with art uh, or with art, but with my job. I just don't want to get into it. But I, there's something valuable about traveling to a country that is older than ours. Um, and if you are a director or if you're a visual artist, there's something really inspiring in that. 
Um, going to, I, like I said, I just got back from Italy and we traveled to Rome uh, and we drove up through Cortona, which is uh, Tuscany, and then uh, went up to Lake Como and came back and stayed in Siena, which is this really rad uh, castle city or castle town rather that it's built in, it's enclosed within a wall and uh, it's beautifully done. Uh, old school architecture, uh, very Gothic stuff. Um, it was really, really inspiring. And, and besides the food, because the food was absolutely amazing on that trip, I was just very inspired by the architecture. I was very inspired by um, the atmosphere and the vibe of the place. And then the lifestyle is interesting too. Um, a big part of our world is stress. And we're constantly having to uh, produce and put things out um, at such a rapid pace. And it's just oftentimes it feels like the career becomes the most important part of your life. And I thought, for me, I, I had the opportunity to disappear for about two weeks and get off the grid, get off of Instagram, other than posting food, get off of Instagram, get off of uh, social media and get out of the country so that I'm not really bombarded with the politics that bombard us all the time. And I just, it centered me. It was really nice to do. And I highly suggest it. Like if you're in, if you're really stressed out, if you feel like you are being influenced by all the same shit that we're, we're influenced by here, um, and you want to just go find some inspiration, I would definitely suggest traveling outside your comfort zone, travel to a different country, um, and just look around and observe. I mean, part of our job as filmmakers is to tell the story, tell stories of the people that we see and people that we meet. And if we learn something new, we want to sort of pass that on to somebody else. Or if we feel something, we want to share that feeling with somebody else, whether that's falling in love or whether that's being scared to death or whether that's almost dying. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why the older you get, the better your storyteller you are, uh, because you just have more of those experiences to draw from. So if you're feeling like, uh, you're stuck, if you're looking for great ideas, you know, get yourself out of your comfort zone and go travel to somewhere that you haven't been before. And don't believe the hype guys. It's safe to travel. Uh, it's safe to, to go out there and do stuff and, and try to be a decent human being when you do. Uh, don't be an American, just be a good person. Um, and it was a really good time. So if you want to check out all the stuff that uh, I ate on that trip, because it was like the holy grail of food, Italy, um, you can check it all out on Instagram. So let's check in here and see what people are talking about, how people are fucking giving me some shit. Uh, favorite film, who's my favorite character, favorite horror film and character? Uh, it, it's the thing, you know, I think the thing is my favorite horror film. And I think McCready is my favorite character in a horror film. I think he's just iconic. He's, uh, he's a cynic, you know, and, you know, being a generation X guy, I'm kind of a cynic myself. I really identify with him. Uh, and I think I've dressed up for him twice as, for Halloween. So I think, I think that makes him my favorite character. Uh, okay. Uh, Crude is asking me some questions about food. Did I have the aged balsamic vinegar? Uh, yes, I did. And it was very good. Uh, let's see. Food looked amazing. Uh, 
this is going to be so boring. It's got to be so boring for my listeners because I'm just shuttling through these comments and not reading them. <laughs> is Twilight so good because the vampires are so old? I don't know if you noticed. I'm sure you did, but uh, we had to go to a very specific place uh, in Italy where they shot one of the Twilight movies because uh, Gina is a super nerd <laughs> for Twilight. <laughs> So, of course, I had to go and film her and make fun of her the whole time. It was the best. Um, yeah, like I said, definitely travel. There's a bunch of folks kicking in here. Hey, uh, from Louisiana, she would like to travel. I would totally travel if I were you. Um, and, and camping. Camping is very cathartic as well. Let's see. Let's see what else do we have here. All right, we're going to wait. You guys, throw me some good questions that I can read on the podcast. Okay. Not, you know, ask me about film, ask me anything else and I'll get to that. So, uh, let's see what else could we talk about on the show right now. So it is October. It is one of my favorite months here in new England. Um, this is when, uh, it feels the, you feel the most history I think is around October and the fall of new England. Cause you know, this is one of the early, uh, places for American settlement. This is also like where the witch trials happened and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you forget that uh, until about this time of year. And, you know, you go out, you do the apple picking thing, the food becomes better. And of course it's Halloween. Uh, and of course it's horror movie time, which is the best. I've been trying to watch a horror movie a night. Um, and the, what did I watch last? Like I said, last night I watched The Void the night before I watched Jason X, oh, do you remember Jason X? How many of you guys remember Jason X on Instagram? Whew. I don't know why I got it. I think it was a free movie on some streaming service, and I started it. Oh my god, what a fucking piece of shit! <laughs> All right, let's get back to some questions here. Uh, what is your biggest moment as a filmmaker so far? Uh, okay. I think anytime I have the ability to be on set, it feels like a huge moment. I think anytime that um, I'm able to bring together all the elements, because when you first set out to make a film, especially if you're self-financing it, and especially if you're if you're putting it together yourself, it it seems like uh, like the the largest the mountain that you have to climb, the biggest mountain that you have to climb. It seems like this task that you're never going to be able to do. Um, and really, the only way I'm able to pull them off is that I, I come up with a big idea. I come up with uh, a big need as far as the production is concerned, and then I just break it down into a list. And if you if you take anything and break it apart into a list, um, you can accomplish it because you just tackle one step at a time and you make your way through it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, that was a you know like being on the set of Who's There and actually having uh, the team of people around me and, and and being able to convince like really talented. Uh, crew people and technicians and actors to come and work on this thing for nothing essentially um, is always a, a special moment for me. And uh, I, I know specifically on that shoot itself, it was such a beautiful shoot. It was one of my best film sets that I've run. Um, I remember just walking into lunch and we had a separate area set up for lunch in this amazing old house. Um, and everybody was in there laughing and excited and they were all talking about the movie and they were talking about film. Um, and they were just really excited to be there and we're doing long fucking days and we're doing overnights. 
Um, and so that moment was very special to me. I, I really got a little emotional there. Like it, it's really an awesome thing when folks believe in you. It's really cool too when the fucking garbage truck <laughs> is louder than your voice. Oof. And someday, guys, I'll have enough money to have my own little recording studio and I won't be doing this fucking schlocky fucking podcast shit. Uh, anyway, all right, so let's go here. Let's go back to some more questions. Boom. Uh, oh, thoughts on the new Halloween film? Okay, I've got this question a few times. Um, I'm excited about it, dude. Like, uh, the first Halloween is epic. I've recently come to understand that I like Halloween 2 the best, actually, from the originals. There's something rad about uh, picking up right where the first one left off and then following our, our main character as she goes to the safe place, which is like in the back of an ambulance. Like whenever you watch the end of a movie, whether it's an action movie um, or a horror movie, you always end with the cops showing up and then the beaten hero getting put in the back of the ambulance. And you're like, okay, they're safe at that point. We're good to go. And I like the idea that that movie sort of picks up from there and our slasher gets up and essentially makes his way to one of the safest places possible, a hospital, and just murders his way through this place to get his hands on her. Uh, it's a great, great idea. It's a great concept. Um, and I, it, you can't have it without the first, obviously, in the setup of the first. But I really enjoy that one uh, more than I do the first film. And the reason I bring it up is that the new one feels like it picks right up from there. Even though it takes place later, it has a lot of the same elements that that second film has like if you watch the original trailers for it uh they do like the sort of jump cutting of uh michael myers walking through this neighborhood and grabbing a knife off of uh, a shed in the back and the way that that stutter cut i just feel like that's gonna probably be like an awesome winner like it'll be like a very long take in the movie which harkens to like Halloween 2 where Mike Myers sort of walks through the yard and goes into that woman's house and takes the knife while she's making a sandwich and all that. So the tone and the vibe is there. And I'm a huge fan of those filmmakers. Like uh, I don't care that they come from comedy. They're just really talented technicians. Uh, like uh, Vice Principals is a great fucking show with really good suspenseful and action moments in it. Um, and Eastbound and Down is a great show too. So uh I think it's David Gordon Green that does that stuff. I think he also comes from independent films. I should have done my research before I talked about it. But I'm excited about it, man. I'm excited about the new Halloween movie. I will be there. Okay, we got a question here. Sorry, it's a burp on the show. It's terrible. Talk about the struggle between real and... I don't know what you're trying to say here. Real and meal projects. Pitching for both commercial and narrative and the rejection that comes along with that process. Okay. Um, so, yeah. The big, the big part of uh, any of this stuff, whether you're directing commercials or you're directing uh, film, is uh, you ultimately have to have somebody pay for it or you ultimately have to have a reason to have it done. Um, so you're always pitching. And pitching is like... Mm, pitching is... Uh, it's a, you end up having to sort of develop a hard skin. It's, it's the closest thing a filmmaker has to what actors do when they go audition, I feel like. I, I mean, I could never be an actor and I have the utmost respect for actors because they can't hide. When they go do an audition, it's about their face. It's about their physicality. It's about them as a person. 
which sucks because at that point you're being judged. And most of the time when you're casting people, you're looking for something specific. It's like going to buy a couch. It's like, oh, okay, the guy needs to be certain certain height and blah, 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 blah. So that's going to be fucking horrible. But uh, as a director, the closest thing to that is when you go pitch things. Or as a filmmaker, you go pitch things. Um, the cool thing is that I can kind of hide behind the project to a certain aspect, but you still are being judged upon your past work and people are looking for a point of reference. So they're judging you as a, as an artist and what your ideas and what your vision are. And it's sort of like being a stand-up comic and going up on stage. You have to develop sort of a personality in a pitch room and you have to have a personality. You have to be likable. You have to, uh, have a vision and you have to be able to convey that vision. Um, I don't know if you guys uh, relate with this or not, but when I started, I was very much sort of an introverted artist and I was just sort of working on my own stuff and making my own things. And I was like, yeah, people will get it and people will understand this. But with film in, in general, you know, everything's up to interpretation and people are judging these things based upon their experiences that they're bringing to whatever you're showing them. And uh, they're oftentimes, if you're putting stuff on paper, they're grasping for some sort of point of reference. That's why you hear what they call comps. Like, what is this movie? Oh, okay. So this movie's like Harry Potter meets Die Hard. And they go, oh, cool, Harry Potter. I love that movie. Got it, you know. Um, and the same thing goes for commercial pitching as well. Um, commercial pitching is, is kind of relentless and ruthless, because no matter how good you are at it and no matter how good your pitch is at it, at the end of the day, it's about dollar amounts because ultimately a commercial selling product and ultimately um, the people that make commercials understand that they, they control the, the current industry so they can just be ruthless about who they pick and they can pit people against each other and try to get a bidding war happening. Uh, you know, if you want to get ready to pitch films, start pitching commercials because it really thickens your skin. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's what you were asking. I don't know if I if I got all I got off on a tangent there. All right, let's see what else is going on here. Cruder uh, hitting me with the good questions. I'm behind, guys, so bear with me. Uh, talking about freebie shoots. Okay. <laughs> What do you want me to talk about freebie shoot stuff and, and union reps and stuff like that? I don't know, man. It's like there's uh when you do uh, commercials and you get into the commercial world and that's kind of where uh, I ended up headed uh, because I needed to make some money and commercial place work workplace is a great spot to actually test out theories to uh, try out techniques and also just like I said before really learn how to to communicate to a client, learn how to deliver uh, your stuff on time, learn how to work within the confines of a budget. Uh, all that stuff is really strong and powerful um, and useful. It's just when you go from being an independent and you start to uh, tackle that as a career, you start to realize that there's a lot of politics involved with everything that happens. Um, and there's a lot of uh, producers out there, or there are some producers out there that really don't uh, think beyond the bottom line, and they really don't think beyond um, the project. And at the end of the day, it's human beings doing this. And at the end of the day, it's people doing this. And whenever we take on a job, it always seems like it's the end of the world. It seems like someone's got a gun to their family's head somewhere. And they're like, we gotta get this done, and I need you to pull this stuff together. 
and uh, in the beginning, it's like, oh my god, this is a this is this is real. This is an intense thing. And when you're younger, you sort of jump into that. But then you're doing this for five, ten years, and you hit a point where you go, it's actually not that important, and we need to slow these things down. And I think that to a certain extent, that's where the union comes into play. And I think that's why the union was originally formed was to uh, protect the workers and to make sure that you can only do a certain amount of time during a day. And if you, knowing that this business requires you to do longer stuff, they would just uh, penalize you for it. You could still do it. You just work it in the budget, but you pay overtime, you pay double time, you pay that sort of thing, specifically to try to keep it safe. And uh, you've heard the stories of, 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 of the sad stories of crew people that have worked, have been worked to the bone and done like, multiple 16-hour, 17-hour days, and people that have died because of it because of lack of sleep. Um, so it's a very important thing to have to to have the protection and to have the union there and to keep this thing uh, safe for folks. Um, but right now, the commercial world is kind of like the Wild West again, where uh, because of the internet, because it isn't for broadcast, there was a loophole. And there's a loophole that clients and producers could use where it's like it's not for broadcast so it doesn't have to be union doesn't have to fall within those restrictions and that was i don't know like maybe five years ago six years ago when that started and now it is the norm uh because everything is hulu everything is online everything is uh not really broadcast anymore and so they've sort of been able to skirt around those old rules and you find yourself constantly being asked to do stuff that is what they call off the radar or not union. And, and then you're trying to work with smaller budgets and they're squeezing these budgets down. And I don't want to get too deep into this question, but um, it's a fascinating landscape right now. If you're getting into it as a uh, commercial director, because um, I, I'm not sure how it is that you can continue to to make money at it. I'm not sure how it is that you can have a career, especially in the smaller markets with it. Um, I will let you know. <laughs> but uh, it's, a, it's a wild place right now. Um, and it's, you know, in the beginning, it's great when you're young and you don't have the bills. And if you're smart, you don't have the student loans behind you. Um, you can take on these smaller jobs and you can, you know, take reduced rates and, and bang these things out. But then, you know, you put in five, six years into the game and suddenly you're like, ah, shit, I, I, I want to have a family now or, I you know, I want to expand my company a little bit. I want to have a couple of employees in my company. Um, how can I afford to do this at these rates? And I think this is what's going on right now. And there's a lot of uh, production companies that are closing their doors. There's a lot of folks that are having to downsize because the clients really control the marketplace, and um, it's kind of going, it's kind of getting out of control a little bit. Um, and like I said, I don't want to get too deep and depressive about it. It's just something to consider if you're getting into this business and you're trying to get into the commercial business. Just know that it's the results of the fact that you know the business is so oversaturated right now. There are so many other options for clients right now. Um, before, in the days when gear was very expensive and hard to get your hands on. Um, that sort of kept the business where it needed to be uh, as far as like how much it costs to do things. But now that the people that are that are manufacturing all this equipment and this gear are providing at a lower cost and you can get your hands on it and, and anybody can be shooting high quality stuff, um, it really has messed with 
the marketplace. It really has screwed with your ability to charge for things. So take that into consideration as you uh, get into this business and think you're going to become a millionaire right away. Anyway, that was depressing. Let's move on. Uh, let's see. I am way behind here on some questions and stuff. Um, yeah, back to the Halloween thing. Um, yeah, I'm super excited about the new Halloween movie. And uh, I'm super excited about October because it is that I, I feel like it, it just gives me an excuse to just go back and watch all these great horror movies again. Um, and I don't know if it's the same for you guys, and I guess this is the definition of nostalgia, but, you know, I go back and I watch these things uh, with the hope that I kind of feel a little bit of the same thing um, when uh, I first watched it. You know, like Nightmare on Elm Street. First time I saw Nightmare on Elm Street, oh, and that feeling of fear that I had, oof, so good. Another movie that scared the shit out of me that a lot of people don't know about is a movie called Dreamscape. Um, Dennis Quaid was in that one. Yeah, Dennis Quaid was in that one. And the premise of that was that uh, there were these psychics that had the ability to go in and out of dreams. And I think there was a government uh, facility that was training these young kids um, that had the ability to share dreams um, to go in and uh, help uh, people that were in comas or whatever else. And um, of course, one of the kids goes rogue and he becomes like, he works for this government agency and he tries to assassinate the president. But the dream stuff in it was fucking scary. It was really cool. There's like this really cool nuclear uh, explosion and uh, the president's wife is running from it. It's, it's crazy, man. And going back and you look at it now, I mean, some of the effects are kind of schlocky and stuff, but I remember watching that as a kid and just being so scared of it. Um, and I love that vibe. I love that. I love the fact that uh, a piece of cinema can affect me that strongly. And I'll, I think about that when I make these things. And I, honestly, I like to make movies for, for, for younger people. I like to make movies for you know, preteen teens. I mean, these days everybody's exposed to so much, so it's younger and younger. Um, but, uh, I'd like to try to give somebody that guttural initial honest to God reaction. Um, and that's what we try to do with who's there. I think who's there is very much a no jump scares. It's a, it's a, it's a mind fuck basically. And it's, it's all internal and it's, it preys on our basic fears of like, you know, who's on the other side of a door. Uh, and that's pretty cool. So let's see what's going on here. Let's go back to Instagram. Uh, sorry, guys, as I, as I moan and I read at the same time. Uh, oh, yeah, Event Horizon. Okay, yeah, Event Horizon was fucked up and awesome, and I want much more sci-fi horror. I agree with you. Um, I think I talked about this uh, last time. I think my favorite genre, a subgenre of horror, is sci-fi horror. Um, and uh, Event Horizon was awesome. I thought that movie was really great. It's got some cheesy shit that happens in it, as usual, but it's got really good moments. Um, and you know what? I I don't mind if a movie's not perfect. I would take a movie that that clocks in at like seventy five percent, but it built such a great atmosphere and a good vibe and something that sticks with you to the point where right now I'm having a conversation on Instagram live, how many years later 
and Event Horizon is still being mentioned. So I, I, I just, as a filmmaker myself, of course I aim to make the most cohesive and uh, the best movie possible, but my focus has always been on tone and vibe because tone sticks with you. It sticks with you the long run. Like if you tell like a solid all-around story that just like buttons everything up and you get to A to B to C, who gives a fuck? You process that, you eat it, especially right now. and You digest it and you're done with it. Tone stays with you. I think tone is such an important thing. Uh, let's take a look here. Okay. Your thoughts on found footage slash POV films. I love that genre. Um, I, they have their place, dude. I Okay. I feel the same way about POV films as I do about VR. It's a trick. It's a it's a it's a gimmick that gets people in. It's very immersive because you can if you use that tool correctly, you can put someone in that perspective. They did it really great in the first Halloween film. In the beginning it was a, a POV of the young kid walking through the house and they put the mask on. It's perfect. And it works perfectly in that film as a specific tool for that portion of the film. This sort of harkens back to that other conversation I had about someone that was like, I shot a whole movie with a 50 millimeter lens. You've just decided to use one tool in your toolbox. So I think that the found footage POV thing got real hot because of the amount of money that it made. So you're talking about scrapping a lot of the crew. You're talking about scrapping a lot of the cost and you're breaking it all down. And it isn't just gear. Gear, who gives a shit? Gear is a couple grand. It isn't that. It's it's all the other elements. It's the fact that if you're doing a like a traditional film that uh, has a, 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 like a really firm grasp on the visual language, you've got a lot of fucking technicians in there pulling those things off. You know, to get a dolly move right, to get um, the right close up with an anamorphic, and you're using diopters, and you've got like first and second unit, and you've got all that stuff making that happen. Uh, there's a lot of tools. There's a lot of brushes needed uh, to paint a really solid um, visual language film, which I love. And there's there's an art to that. Um, that being said, the POV stuff just I feel like they took one technique and then they they built an entire genre around that technique. And I feel like the main purpose of that genre is to make people really wealthy. Um, so that being said. There have been moments in those films that I enjoy. The first Blair Witch, the whole trick at the end of that film where the audio guy's in a different direct, a different space than the camera person is, the audio's working differently as you sort of move through and you hear things differently, that was cool. But once again, it's just that specific moment. There's a bunch of that movie where it's just people running around, the camera shoved up in their nose, and I'm like, I don't care. Uh, Cloverfield's another great example of that. When I saw Cloverfield, I wanted the beginning of that movie to be POV, and then I wanted it to go more traditional because at the time we didn't have the big Godzilla blockbusters. We didn't have that stuff. And I wanted to see the monster. I wanted to see uh, it covered from a voice, from like a, like not a traditional voice, but like a filmmaker's voice. And not necessarily a voice that's been restricted by the technique. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know if that answers that question. Um, there's a couple good ones, like Paranormal Activity does some great stuff with it. Um, but in general, I don't know. Let's see. What else do we got? 
uh, Pandorum was a decent new uh, sci-fi movie. It was. I enjoy that. And that was uh, Ben Foster was in that as the lead. And I think Ben Foster is a fantastic actor. Uh, Sphere stuck with me. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen Sphere. Um, okay, here's a, a crude is actually kicking in here. Did you see End of Watch? Great use of POV found footage, uh, but not horror. Also, Hardcore Henry. <laughs> I can't believe you. I, all right, I like the theory of Hardcore Henry, but dude, I've sat down and tried to watch that movie twice, and I either fall asleep or I get distracted by something else. Uh, it's just the gimmick just gets old. And I like where it started because that originally started from an from a internet video that those guys did. And I feel like that technique really works in the whole like 10 minute, 15 minute range. But like an hour and a half. Um, Gareth Edwards, Monster. I love that movie, by the way. Monsters. Uh, was a crew of four or five people with no clear idea. Yeah, Gareth, from what I understand, he... Uh, really was tackling that from a documentary perspective, which is great. Um, and let me be clear, that movie's not a POV movie. That movie is still a film that is shot with a director with a voice, and he's very selective about what he's showing you. And uh, his compositions are amazing. Uh, the way he covers that stuff is amazing. Um, it's, you know, his, his technique being a, a documentary crew thing Nah, he didn't even stay from the perspective of the documentary crew. He just followed these people around. It's a great movie. That movie reminds me more of a foreign film than anything else. It's like E2 Mama, or is it E2 Mama Tambien? That felt like an old Mexican, uh, uh, like a Cinema Verte kind of film. You know what I mean? And uh, so let's see, where are we at for time here? We're at about 46 minutes. Okay, so I got to do some more ad reads because I want to try to get this all done in one blast and not do any editing for this episode. So let's go through. Uh, one of our sponsors for this show are our good buddies over at Rule Boston Camera. Uh, if you're a filmmaker uh, out there and you're trying to uh, keep up with gear and keep up with the newest equipment, uh, good luck, because uh, it is changing so quickly, it's changing so fast that it's so difficult to figure out what camera that you're going to purchase that's still going to be relevant in six months. Um, you know, take a uh, take a hint from uh, really good DPs like my buddy Kruda and buy lenses. Lenses do not lose their value. Um, but uh, that being said, I would do what I do. Rent your gear. I'm serious. It's the smarter move. If you have clients that expect you to have the latest toys, uh, stuff that upgrades every month. Why would you buy a camera for thousands of dollars that you can't pay off? Uh, do yourself a favor and make a, a solid relationship with your local rental house. If you're a filmmaker, if you're a director, especially if you're a DP, it's incredibly important. Uh, and if you make a good relationship with a, a, a rental house, uh, they'll give you access to all this brand new camera gear. They'll train you on how to use it. Um, and they'll give you the customer support you need so that way you're never not delivering for your client. Um, so if you are on the East Coast and you're in the New England area, uh, the place that you want to be friends with is Rule Boston Camera. Uh, they have the best gear, they teach you how to use it, and they have full tech support. Uh, so if your gear doesn't work on set for some strange reason, they will send someone over with a new one, uh, which 
the online rental companies that are doing that stuff right now won't do that. If you rent something through those guys uh, and it doesn't work, you're you're screwed. Uh, so um, check it out. Uh, go to rulebostoncamera.com or rule.com uh, to check their stuff out. And uh, I just teamed up with them this month uh, with In Love With The Process. And uh, I uh, put my uh, photographer hat back on. It's been over six months since I've taken photographs. And uh, we shot some uh, what I like to call gear porn together. So uh, keep your eyes out. I will be posting that both on my Instagram and on the In Love With The Process POD, In Love With The Process pod Instagram as well. Um, so this will be the second read that I have for these guys. It's a new sponsor, spiffygear.com and their Specular Light. Uh, Specular will make your life easier. Uh, carry less light more and have more options with the uh, CRI of 94 plus and specialty filters specular delivers consistent 5600k daylight balanced light every time uh, specular can be uh, an 85 centimeter octa yet it fits into a laptop case uh, according to these guys it is the only light you'll need uh, I have used this light before it's pretty rad uh, I used it on that uh, team up with Rule when I shot the product shots. So you guys will be able to see the results of it. Um, they're very bright. And the thing I like about them is that you can build them into different shapes. So they're really cool for like interesting highlights. Very compact. So like if you wanted to build like a triangle um, LED highlight, uh, it's pretty, pretty cool for that stuff. Um, so check them out. Go to spiffygear.com. <laughs> Kruda, <laughs> can you fit 96 speculars on a condor? I bet you could. I don't know why you would want to, but I bet you could. <laughs> don't dog with my sponsors, brother. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's kind of what's going on. I just wanted to catch up with you guys and talk and ramble a bit on this episode. It's been a while since I've sat down and done it myself. Um, and, uh, I think it's kind of cool to broadcast it live on Instagram. And, uh, as a filmmaker, I find that Instagram has been fantastic and I, they don't fucking sponsor me. It'd be nice if they did. Um, but, uh, social media is the most important tool that you guys have these days. And if you are a commercial director, if you're a commercial photographer, uh, even if you're a filmmaker, uh, all of the creative directors out there are are picking people by looking through Instagram. It's crazy. And when you, it's not that crazy actually, because when you think about it, most of the creative directors out there are in their early 20s, mid 20s, maybe early 30s. So they are like you. They use the same shit that you use. Um, and it's funny to me how many people don't actually go to your website. They just go to your Instagram and sort of look through it see the kind of traffic that you get and uh, see the kind of pictures you take um, more and more these days. Uh, and you've heard it on other episodes. Uh, photographers are being hired because of their Instagram account. So do not hide from social media. Do not pretend like you don't know how to use it. It is the most important part of your business right now. It is the only way you're going to get work. Um, and uh, with that, I think that is the end of this episode. I appreciate you guys listening. Um, in the meantime, like I said, uh, I have a bunch of really good new updates coming out about who's there. 
Um, so definitely follow me at Mike Petchy on Instagram. Um, please follow uh, In Love With The Process POD as well. On that account, I try to post like really cool behind the scenes shit that I find online, some gear stuff. I do a lot of reposting on there as well as posting my own stuff. Um, but it's just, I try to make a resource for inspiration and it's a place that I like to go to be inspired. And hopefully it's a place that you will like to go to be inspired. So if you are on Instagram, go follow in love with the process POD that's in love with the process pod on Instagram. Um, and let's see what else am I plugging? I got some cool stuff coming out. Oh, also on my Instagram as well. I've had a lot of folks coming to me, uh, and asking if they can see 12 KM the short, um, the best way to do so is to write to me on Instagram. So if you drop me a message, tell me your favorite horror movie, and I'll give you a list of instructions on how to see the film. And uh, with that, I think that is the end of our episode. Uh, thanks for listening to me ramble today, and hopefully it was interesting to hear me read shit on Instagram. I'm going to say goodbye to all of my followers there as well. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to stick around a minute, and we'll chat when we're done with this. Okay, guys, so thanks for listening.